Okay, and yeah, I just wanted to say, recognize this is a difficult, might be a difficult time for you, and I really thank you for talking with me in the daily. Thanks. Um, so, I guess to start off, I, I just wanted to hear about, um, if, if you could tell me about Katie, about what she meant to you, how you interacted with her, um, what you saw her do on campus, and that. Yeah, Katie, Katie was pretty intense. She was, like, awesome and a little scary at the same time. It was, we first met in, when I was in Slee in 2007, when, well, I guess 2008, because she was coming back for to try and finish her spring quarter, because she first started in 2005. She was two years ahead of me, but she had to take time off multiple times, so she hadn't finished Slee before, and we were actually in the psych ward at almost the same time, but not exactly the same time, So, but we met like right after she got out, which was like a week after I'd gotten out, <laughs> um, and we kind of bonded about that through, through a mutual friend. Um, she had a rough time. She had pretty severe bipolar disorder. She struggled with addiction, um, heroin addiction, which is uncommon for students on campus. Um, and although she'd been clean for over a year, I think almost two years if by the time, I mean, no, at, by the time of her death, mm -hmm. um, and her mother, when she was um, a sophomore, killed herself, yeah. which is rough, too. She, Some of the people that, quite a few of the people that Katie ended up bonding with, she bonded with over that feeling of, like, shared understanding, you know, like, shared grief, kind mm -hmm. of. Even if it wasn't the same grief, just an understanding of each other, of what each other, what the other person was going through. Kind of with me, that was the same thing, but not exactly. We reconnected last year when we were in the same critical methods class because we were both English majors. And we just started hanging out all the time. Um, she was a really awesome poet and um, wrote a lot of different... Like, her poetry was a lot less constrained than mine in, like, strict form and mine... My poetry's always been, yeah, like, pretty formal. Mm -hmm. And po Katie just kind of let loose on the page, kind of like she let loose in real life, you know, the rest of the time. She was never one for holding anything back. Um, at her funeral, at her memorial service, her brother said he, that he wasn't sorry for oversharing because that's what Katie always did. <laughs> which is Which is true. Um, so we had kind of a, we had a project we were working on where she was writing her poetry. We were studying T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound and their relationship and how it formed the wasteland. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know this, but T.S. Eliot wrote the wasteland while he was locked up in the sanatorium for mental health, and then he would send it to Ezra Pound, and Ezra, Ezra Pound would just slash at it and tell him to delete vast portions of it. And then Ezra Pound would get angry at him, and then they would find some sort of medium, but mostly just slash it all out. So that's what we were doing. <laughs> she was T.S. Eliot, and I was Ezra Pound. <laughs> it was great, although we didn't get very far, because um, soon after that, she started to get a, just a little bit crazier. Mm -hmm. I never 
like we spent a lot of time just the two of us um so she wasn't really friends with my other friends but she would come over after class and we would do dinner or then I would go out with her we'd go to a bar and find ways to get off get off get to get people like sketchy guys who were hitting off her off her back or whatever one time I showed her how to make a hijab so that she could disguise herself on the way out <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we went she had a friend up in the up, up in up page mill up in those vineyard foothills who was an who was on probation slash house arrest for some sort of crime and we would go hang out with him a couple of times. We went all sorts of places, and she was the kind of friend who would just, she had a huge presence. She'd come into your life and just grab hold of it. And with me, it was like, I wasn't having too much of a hard time mm -hmm. then, but I'd been through a lot in the past with illness in my family yeah. with um, some deaths of people around me and Katie she kind of I feel like in some way she needed that to respect me properly mm -hmm. to get close because I wasn't going to run away from her problems and in a way it kind of helped me a lot for her to to feel that she respected me for it. You know, normally I'm afraid that even talking about the problem or the troubles that I've had in the past or in the present is just going to alienate other people. Yeah. But with Katie, it was the opposite. It brought us closer together. And sometimes I thought, well, I should be more normal and I should stop bonding with people over shared trauma. Mm -hmm. I should bond with people over laughter and and over studies over things that aren't shared trauma or sadness, but that's that's just part of the human experience, yeah. you know. You have to, I mean, what else are you going to do? Remember at, um, at the grief counseling thing, Donovan said that people don't go through grief alone, they go through it together. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to remember because it's not something we're taught now. You know, yeah. for some reason it seems that we're taught to kind of suffer sadness and depression and pain and silence, and I've definitely been taught that. When I was really sick and at home in D.C., my dad would drive me twice a week to the clinic where I would get IVs that were often incredibly painful and lasting three to five hours, and sometimes I would just... I wanted to finish it, you know, so even though it would become really painful, like, in my arm where it was going in or whatnot, and it, the pain would get worse, I would just, I would tell him, if I couldn't concentrate on reading myself, then I would ask my dad to tell me stories, and I'd listen to those stories. I mean, distraction is a great way to deal with pain, at least temporarily, <laughs> and sometimes it'd get so bad I'd start throwing up into the chair. And my dad was proud of me for that. He'd say, yeah, you're my daughter, you know, suffering in silence. Good for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was like, you're strong. 
<laughs> I'm glad you're my daughter. You're, and you do gain strength from things like that, but you also need to reach out. Yeah. Um, and Katie was really good at helping people reach out. And she was good at reaching out herself, you know. She had a rough time, but she was always trying to protect people around her. Right before, she kind of disappeared last spring. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where she went. I went by her apartment every week. She left the door unlocked. Her stuff was there. I left her notes. I left her messages. She never called me. Finally, I came by her apartment, and everything was moved out. So I sort of... You know, I was worried. I asked the landlord of the apartment building to contact, to tell me where she was. He said he couldn't, but because of confidentiality or something, but he could ask. And he couldn't give me the information from her dad, her dad's information. He could ask her dad to call me. So I asked him to contact her dad. He never contacted me, but I did find her brother through Facebook. And brother informed me she was in a rehab facility down south near L.A., which, you know, was kind of probably, which was a big relief to me. Um, that's the last time I saw her in person was before then, over a year ago. We talked um, on the phone and over Facebook. After that, I called the rehab facility a couple of times to make sure she was there. They at first wouldn't confirm or deny, but then she put me on the list of people who were allowed to know. Um, before she left, before she disappeared, well, I can't say disappeared because she came back, she reappeared, but before I couldn't find her for that amount of time, she was really concerned with a pending sort of apocalypse. It was kind of supernatural style, angels and demons. One day she showed up outside my apartment, which, I mean, outside of my dorm room, which she does, she did sometimes, like once it was... Hey, Helena, it's my 100 days of being clean. Let's mm -hmm. celebrate. Yeah. Which is awesome. We had a great time. And this time it was, Helena, I need to tell you stuff. Can you come outside and get in the car? And she was, you know, driving crazily all around the faculty ghetto mm -hmm. and smoking and telling me I had to tell my relatives in San Francisco to get out. Something was coming soon in the next month. I needed to warn everyone. It was very convincing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and the last, I guess, one of the last times I saw her, she was really concerned for me. And she gave me a piece of paper where she wrote some, she wrote bits of poetry and bits of advice that were going to help me in my life. Mm -hmm. She gave me this turtle pouch I have over there, and she filled it with all the things she thought I would need a book of matches, several sets of mismatched earrings. She thought I was going to need a flower to protect me from the goddess of love. She thought I needed, she called it the, her Oshun, which is like the the voodoo Santeria god, goddess of love and passion, and she was like, you need protection from that craziness. Yeah. So she gave me a flower. She made me a necklace and she gave me the pearls that belonged to her mother before she died all these things and her stuffed raccoon which she said gave always gave her good advice <laughs> <laughs> so I still have all those things yeah. I have a pair of jeans that I took from her so that I could embroider them as a present and I did 
I still have them because I never saw her again. They say Katie on them. They have, here I'll show you, they have <clears throat> snowdrops. Snowdrops on them. Her name. Because I told her she always comes back through the hard winters, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a metaphor. <laughs> but yeah. I embroider a lot to just kind of calm myself down. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of make it up as I go stuff. Yeah. But Katie, she was just, I think that was. One of the most wonderful things about her was how loud, how she was just so openly compassionate and just constantly, and she wanted to protect everyone around her. And I could really sympathize with that. I felt that way a lot of times in my life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a little, sometimes about Katie, sometimes about, you know, mo mo most times about my family. So, we got along great. We hadn't seen each other last quarter because, you know, being around Katie was always kind of a trip. Like, <laughs> she was a little crazy the last time I'd seen her and she said she was doing well and I was still kind of fragile from trying to deal with my dad's cancer diagnosis and I just wanted to take some time, you know, yeah. before seeing her again. We talked online. We we're going to get together this quarter, but we didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I feel less, I feel less terrible about that now. Yeah. I guess it just takes some time, but, you know, it's rough because she was just fought so hard to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Even when she attempted suicide, it was like she did everything else. By the time I knew her, she did everything else first, you know. She went and got help. Mm -hmm. She knew about the resources on campus and she took advantage of them yeah. which a lot of people don't do a lot of people are ashamed to go get counseling to even tell their friends or they're so depressed that they just don't have the energy or the hope you know they think nothing can help me but Katie she was so strong and she always and the strongest thing about her was the way she always looked for help and opened herself up to people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people took advantage of her a lot of the time, but I don't know. They say her death was an accident. I don't I don't know if it was or not. But it just if it was, it just seemed like such a crazy fluke that she would die by accident after so much effort and anger and, and fighting, you know, to stay alive yeah. that whole time. And if she didn't die by accident, then it's maybe even more tragic because she was doing so well. And it just seems like 
is almost inevitable. Like, like it just was never enough. I don't know. You say that she had attempted suicide at some point um, in her life. Was yeah. that while she was at Stanford? And um, mm -hmm. how candid was she about talking about that with the community? I don't know. She didn't talk about it much to me. Um, I think if I'd asked her about it, she would have told me more. That was a couple of, that was, like, that was a cup. that was before I even met her, when she was a sophomore, okay. I believe, in, um, Formo. My friend, Leo, was there, because she and Katie have been friends since they were freshmen. Um, her roommate found her, uh, trying to hang herself, I think, and... So, you know, but she didn't, which is good for me, because yeah. then I got to meet her later on. Good for her, too. She, she, she seemed to have, she seems to have made kind of a space around her where people felt comfortable, more comfortable, and almost proud of the more difficult things that they've been through. Yeah. And I wasn't really part of the mental health community, you know. We we met in SLEE and then in class. And, you know, we hung out in my room or in her apartment or in bars or at other random people's places, you know. But we didn't, we didn't meet at any of the Stanford Peace of Mind events right. or anything. Yeah. So then how familiar are you with her legacy within the mental health community on Stanford? You know, I've actually learned more about it since her death. Mm -hmm. She would mention it sometimes, you know, and she would talk about why she started Stanford Peace of Mind because she was just really kind of angry at, about the culture that keeps people silent or ashamed. And... She was, but I, and so she talked about, like, why she, she would be like, yeah, that's why I started Stanford Peace of Mind in the first place, but, or she would say they were doing some event or something, but I didn't really know much about it until, I guess, after she died, and Donovan talked a bit about meeting with her mm -hmm. when she was starting that group after her mother died, and, and my friend Leslie told me about meeting her at the grief counseling group. Mm -hmm. sorry. I, oh, no, sorry. Oh, I, I just don't, like, I don't know much about the official, like, group yeah. support system kind of legacy that she left. Mostly, especially at the funeral, I just heard a lot of people say things like, you know, Katie made it, me feel like it was okay for me to talk about this or that. And maybe that was at during official support sessions, and maybe it was just in everyday life. 